Holy Spirit, when you come, everything just makes sense. You show up and hearts begin to sing again. We're in awe, we're in awe of you, and we honor you, Holy Spirit, and we welcome you here. We thank you for your presence. Um, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would breathe on these words and that you would bring them to life and that you would make us more like Jesus. In your name, amen. Um, just a quick introduction. Nat said I need to introduce myself. So I am the lucky wife to the wisest, kindest, and most loving bear, and his name is Nick Leach. I'm the proud mum of three outrageously handsome, in my opinion, <laughs> very active um, and soft-hearted boys, and they're Sam, Jack, and Noah. And I work as a medical doctor. So in the recent while, it's been in emergency rooms. Um, I've just this week started with a very brilliant team um, in trauma ICU at Albert Latuli Hospital. And very privileged to be there. Um, people tell me that I tend to remain very calm in emergency situations. Um, but this is not my usual environment. <laughs> so just... If you are looking for a remedy for your constipation, just get Nats to schedule you in for one Sunday morning. Um, but having said that, <laughs> having said that, I just really felt God remind me in worship of who I am. And a few months ago, Susie Tricky encouraged us just to let Holy Spirit drop in our hearts what our spirit name is and our identity. And I immediately felt God say, you're my usher. And he, he wants me to point to him. And that's an easy task because he's perfect and he's beautiful. And he's not, he's not scared and he's not underwhelmed by himself. He's amazing and he's glorious. And so if anything, I just want my words to, to really point to who he is. Okay. So I really am aware of the privilege of sharing his word and of teaching from, from the Bible. I've got quite a few scriptures, and I don't apologize for that because I know that God says it so much better than I ever could. And today I'm going to be talking about the human body as a metaphor for the church um, and the church being God's people. So I've always been a churchgoer from young, and I've always enjoyed going to church but I really did fall in love with the church in my early 20s when I just had a revelation from God about the church as his bride and really pictured God as the groom with tears in his eyes and his eyes locked on the church, his bride, coming down the aisle. And that picture has stuck with me and it's really cautioned me um, to ever speak against the church because if God looks at his bride with such passion and intensity, then who are we to speak against his, his bride? Um, in recent years, as my knowledge and respect for the human body has grown, um, and I've, yeah, I've really just started to understand of how the church was designed to function, um, each part doing its work under the direction and leadership of Jesus Christ. So I just want to start with the first verse from 1 Corinthians 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. 
But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Henry Drummond once said, that sometimes, when uncertain of a voice from its very loudness, we catch the missing syllable in the echo. In God and nature, we have voice and echo. So on the one hand, we have God, his design, his kingdom, and that's his voice. On the other hand, we have the natural realm, and that realm helps to, to point us to and helps us to understand just how glorious the spiritual realm is. So for example, the heavens and the skies declare the glory of God. So on this side, the spiritual realm, we have the body of Christ, his creation and his design. And then on the natural side, we have the human body. Um, and, and God's intent is that our human body could point us to just how glorious the spiritual body is. So Ephesians 3 verse 10 says, his intent was that now, and these three words always get me, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So even the church is revealing God's glory to the angels who've been around him since the beginning of time. And this is according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the natural body, the institution of marriage, those metaphors were created to try and mirror and echo some of the greatness and glory of what his church is really meant to look like. The human body really is glorious. I'm in awe of it. I am a doctor, but I tend to practice very conservatively. Um, I do use medicine with gratitude when needed, but I really do have a deep respect for the strength and genius and natural ability of the human body to heal itself and to grow and to function. Just a few fun facts about how amazing this body of ours is. Did you know that there are more than 100,000 miles of blood vessels in your body? The jaw muscle is the strongest muscle in the human body. In Terry Holdings' case, it's also the fittest. <laughs> a single human brain generates more electrical impulses in a day than all the telephones of the world combined and bones are about five times stronger than steel. This analogy of the human body could literally fill 30 sermons, but today I just want to take an in-depth look at two elements of the human body and draw the parallels to the body of Christ. So in a nutshell, our bones representing truth and our skin representing love. And much of what I will say is drawn from a very beautiful book by Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey, and it's called In the Likeness of God. Paul Brand was an orthopedic surgeon. He spent much of his um, career in India working with leprosy patients. And he made great breakthroughs um, and he helped to prevent multiple amputations, restoring dignity and community and a sense of purpose to those patients with leprosy. His humility, deep love for people, and his childlike fascination for the human body, science, and nature really have been an inspiration in my own life. So we're going to start with bones. Bones can be a metaphor for the truth or doctrine in the body of Christ that governs the way we walk out our relationship with God, with each other, and with the rest of the world. 
Bones are hard, obviously. They give shape to our bodies, and they provide structure and strength in order to enable movement and function. In the same way, God's law is and needs to be inflexible and consistent. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to trust it. The purpose and function of God's doctrine, though, is to enable freedom and not to restrict it. Some people view the Ten Commandments as as restrictive or limiting, a list of do-nots, but their purpose actually is not to limit growth or fulfillment, but in fact to encourage it. Yancey and Brand rephrase the commandments, turning them from a negative into a positive light. So instead of saying, have no other gods before me, this could be interpreted as, I love you so much that I will give you myself. I am true reality, the only God you will ever need. In me alone you will find wholeness. The commandment, don't worship idols, can be interpreted as, I desire a wonderful thing, a direct personal relationship between myself and each of you. You don't need inferior representations of me, such as dead wooden idols. You can have me value that. We could go on with each commandment. In fact, the Ten Commandments can be viewed as a form of fetal skeleton, a kindergarten phase of morality. Whenever Jesus was questioned regarding the meaning or validity of the Old Testament commands, he always pointed instead to the principle behind the commands. In Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40, it says, Jesus was questioned by an expert in the law. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In essence, as Yancey says, morality just took a quantum leap from prohibition to love. And that the Bible then is no longer a set of rules to control us, but in fact it's a love letter from our creator to empower us and set us free. So I just want to return to the ability of the bones to act as a scaffolding against which the body can move. Muscles and tendons need to attach to bones in order to be effective. If my humerus or arm bone was missing um, and there was just flesh in between, contraction of my bicep would just create like a shortening of the arm and not not a pulling up of the forearm. Um, And really functionality would be disabled. So in the same way, God's truth provides a structure that enables the body to move forward. The command to only have one husband or one wife and not to commit adultery is given not to restrict one's options, but to open up the reality and goodness of a monogamous committed marriage. G.K. Chesterton wrote that the more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. Keeping to one woman is a small price for so much as seeing one woman. To complain that I could only be married once was like complaining that I had only been born once. It showed not an exaggerated sensibility to sex, but a curious insensibility to it. A man is a fool who complains that he cannot enter Eden by five gates at once. I really love that, that God's framework of truth and doctrine gives us the framework that allows us to run wild and free into every good thing that he has for us. Jesus himself says in John 8, verse 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
Secondly, a living body cannot rely on dead bone. Hebrews 4 verse 12, For the word of God is active and alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So our bones are alive. They're constantly changing and adapting. There are two main types of cells in bone. The first are the osteoclasts, and those um, are the scavengers of bone. So they eat away at bone and cause it to be reabsorbed. The second set of cells is the osteoblasts, and these are the little bone factories that come behind the clasts and they lay down new bone in their wake. So when we're children and we've got growing bones, our clasts and our blasts are working overtime, and our entire skeleton is turned over every single year. Um, it's just obviously enlarged every year. So the, the shape retains, the, the shape stays the same, but we grow as, we, as, as our bone is alive and it changes. Um, so truth is also like that. We need to be building layer upon layer of understanding, and that requires that we remain teachable, willing to grow in our revelation of the word of God and his kingdom. We can't always rely on a truth that we learned in our childhood. We need to keep updating and growing in that truth. So we need the rhema word of God, that living word that's spoken to us in the moment, God's word breathed on by his spirit that comes alive and brings our souls to life. The third quality of bone I want to mention is the combination of consistency and adaptability. So if you went to a museum and you viewed skeletons from centuries and you had a look from, I don't know, 200 AD and you just, you know, all the way through, what you would really be struck by is the consistency of the skeletons. The femur bone has stayed the same shape. The wrist bones, same number, same way that they fit together. So truth is like that too. It doesn't change through centuries. Jesus was at the beginning. He's truth. He's the word of God, and he never changes. Um, but if you were an osteopath, so someone who studied bones very closely, you would, you would look really closely and you would start to notice very fine bu um, bumps or ridges in the bone. And if you looked under a microscope, you would see the stress lines in bone. And they might be angled a bit differently in some skeletons. Um, people's occupations can be guessed at based on how the stress lines in their bones go because you see what type of physical work they were doing. Um, if, for instance, you broke a bone in your foot and you started to walk with a limp and put more pressure on your heel bone, if you did that for a few weeks and months, the calcaneus or the heel bone, the stress lines would change angle and pattern. And you could see exactly what happened to that person and, and why that bone is a little bit different. Um, so in the same way, as a church, we need to be willing to respond to and adapt to the, to the peculiar stresses which face us. So the principles of God's truth remain unchanged, but the way that we apply that truth in our individual political climate has to adjust. Um, I hold as a core belief that the church is a cure-all. It holds the answer to all the world's problems only because of who Christ is and because of the Holy Spirit's power that lives in us. And yet the church has too often buried our heads in the sand, not wanting to get involved in the dirty mess of the world, not even wanting to come near to the pain and dysfunction, let alone examine our worldviews and our doctrine in the light of the current climate. 
We just can't afford to be that church anymore, the one that's comfortable gathering in a beautiful building on a Sunday and then spends the rest of the week trying not to get too close to the world lest we become bloody or dirty. In South Africa, we are facing huge crises. I'm so convicted that we as the church hold the key to release healing in the areas of trauma, racism, and poverty. But it will take acknowledgement of the pain, it will take repentance of our previous apathy and ignorance, and it will take the hard work of examining our doctrine in the light of these stresses and making changes where necessary. The skeleton of the South African church needs to be uniquely identified by the way that Christians have reached out to those who have suffered trauma with the healing presence of Christ's love, how they have sought forgiveness and reconciliation across races, and how they have sought to dismantle the institutions that perpetuate the separation of the wealthy from the poor. The last point on bone is that our skeleton is an endoskeleton and not an exoskeleton like that of a crayfish. So last weekend I found a crayfish shell on the Chigela River beach and I put it in the car because I wanted to bring it as a prop, but my husband chucked it out when I wasn't looking because he said it would get too stinky. <laughs> but, um, but that shell was really rough, it was hard, it had multiple thorny projections, it could cause some serious damage. So the exoskeleton of a crayfish is primarily for protection, but the primary purpose of truth is not to protect us from the world, but to give us a framework that we can walk into the world with. An exoskeleton is dead, composed only of minerals such as calcium, and as such it cannot grow with the organism it houses, but it actually rather restricts its growth until the animal needs to shed that inflexible skeleton in order to have a rapid growth spurt before it forms a new exoskeleton. So legalism can be viewed as a form of external skeleton. The Pharisees in New Testament times were very careful to obey every letter of the law, um, often just taking it to the extreme. So one of their laws was, you may not forcibly confine a living creature. And there was much debate about whether you could close your front door because you'd be trapping the flies inside your house. They eventually decided you could close your front door, but you couldn't trap a fly under a cup on the Sabbath day. So they had this exterior facade of obeying the rules but inside, they were dead. The exoskeleton was a form of self-righteousness, a way of showing off their good deeds, while in fact they were dead inside. So following rules does not bring life. Jesus called these Pharisees whitewashed tombs, clean externally. However, inside, they were housing rotting flesh and dead hearts. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When we observe Jesus' life on the earth, he was accused of being a friend of sinners. He was the one who touched the lepers. He ate with the tax collectors. He looked the prostitutes in the eye. However, he was incredibly vociferous and intolerant of the legalistic Pharisees. His words are quite hectic. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Legalism and hypocrisy is so damaging. It's damaging to the soul of that person because Ephesians says it's only by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourself, it is the gift of God. Legalism, however, breeds an unhealthy self-reliance on your own good works to qualify you for salvation. God's rules for living are not meant as rungs of a ladder um, up to salvation. 
Jesus has already bridged the gap through his death and resurrection on the cross. A firm shell of legalistic laws also limits the growth of the organism. So if we think both individually and corporately, our growth as Christians is limited by legalism. Many people have lived in a sheltered, rigid system. Once they become disillusioned with that system, like a crayfish, they start to shed that exoskeleton, and once that old skeleton is off, they enter into a period of vulnerability. Um, some people start to just form an altered legalistic code that fits their new shape. Some people start to form a, a soft fetal endoskeleton that then as they rely on the Holy Spirit and truth, it can grow into a mature skeleton. But others, unfortunately, are lost during this process. Um, predators come and, and snatch them away. There are many disillusioned, broken, and hurting Christians in the world who have fallen away from the church, the body, and they're not living with that internal support structure. But most important in my view is that legalism is so damaging to the world. And I think that's why Christ was, was so condemning of the Pharisees. Our skeleton of truth and moral code is intended to enable us to grow up um, and to move. It was never intended to rub up against the world. We can't expect an untransformed and an unrenewed world to live up the moral codes of love and self-sacrifice that we as Christians hold dear. If our approach to people is accusatory and judgmental, we are not representing Jesus Christ and his love for the church, for the world. So I do know as a youngster, I used to be legalistic. My friend used to say to me, oh, Renee, you're so black and white about issues. And you know, often they're actually just gray. Um, and I know I did cause harm because people felt judged and looked down on because they didn't adhere to the moral code that I believed in. So I like to think I've changed and I'm still changing, but I do think I am still black and white um, in my beliefs. The difference, though, is that I don't need everybody to know what I believe on every topic. What is vitally important to me is that people feel love and acceptance when they're around me. My husband once had a prophetic picture. He gave me permission. He was struggling with an area of sin in his life, and God gave him this picture of himself as a massive baobab tree and thick, dead bark around the tree. And he was outside with this axe and hacking away at the bark, trying to remove that dead bark that was you know, restricting him, the sin in his life. But then a tiny little green succulent shoot started to grow up right in the middle of that tree trunk. And as that succulent shoot grew and expanded, the dead bark and, and wood on the outside of that trunk just started to fall off in pieces. In the same way, we cannot hack away at the dead bark or sin in another person's life. What we can do is love that person regardless. We can pray and desire to see that green shoot of God's life and love spring up within the center of each person that we encounter and just trust that an encounter with Christ would cause that dead bark to fall away and transform them from the inside. Okay, I've paired the two topics, skin and bones, because they're so beautifully linked, and Jesus is just our prototype for, for everything. Jesus is the truth, he's our internal supporting skeleton, and he's also the perfect example of tactile love. So Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. 
From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So skin is our largest and arguably our most important sense organ. We perceive a multitude of stimuli through our skin. Cold, warmth, touch, pressure, pain, parasites. One function of the skin of the church is to sensitively perceive need, both of people within the church, but most importantly, those outside the church. Skin is not like the, the eyes or the ears that can receive their stimuli from afar. Skin actually has to be in close proximity to the stimulus for it to be felt. And Jesus modeled that close proximity for us. He didn't sit on his throne in heaven working salvation from afar, but he came, he was born as a man, he played with his siblings, he fought, he ate with us, we probably didn't fight, but <laughs> he worked as a carpenter, he sweated, he laughed, um, he really wasn't afraid to rub shoulders with sinners or with sickness or with pain. So as a doctor, my hands are my greatest diagnostic tool. I have to touch my patients. Um, I need to palpate with carefulness and sensitivity in order to understand where the pain is, what could be causing it, and then formulate a treatment plan. So my first encouragement for us as the church is that we first position ourselves to allow contact. When Jesus said, you are the light of the world, he didn't say that to create fear in us that the world might try and snuff out our light. He said that to encourage us to go into the world and expel the darkness of the world. We all can touch the world individually in our daily lives and respond appropriately. And in corporately as the church, there are some who are, who are functioning as the skin of the church. They're serving on the front lines, whether it's in business, in schools, in NGOs, in healthcare, in persecuted nations. And as the body of Christ, we really need to listen to those people and listen to the needs that they're perceiving and respond to those. My second encouragement for us as the church <laughs> is that we allow that contact to be felt. Um, so skin sensory cells have this adaptive process. If my eyes were closed and you put a 100 milligram weight on my forearm, I'd feel it for about four seconds, after which those sensory cells would dumb down and turn off, and I'd no longer know there was a weight on my forearm until it was taken off and I could feel it was removed. Um, and our challenge as the body of Christ is to keep our skin sensory cells actively perceiving the needs around us especially in South Africa, where the, where the needs are so great um, that our senses have, in a way, become dulled and blind to them. So I've worked in trauma units for the past four years, and people often ask, well, how do you cope emotionally? And the unfortunate answer is that I do become numb to the pain and trauma as a defense mechanism. In my natural state, the amount of pain is too immense that I would probably crumble if I really had to internalize and empathize with every person's unique situation. But as Christ followers, and this is something I'm working on, we have a wonderful promise, and that's that we can cast our burdens onto Jesus. So he allows us to feel the pain and weightiness of the world, and then he says, put that burden onto me, and then you can feel it again. <laughs> put it back onto him and feel it again. Um, because if we don't perceive again and again and again the pain of poverty, if we don't empathize with the father who can't feed his children, we won't be moved to feed the poor. 
And if we don't feel the pain of loneliness and desperation that so many in the world feel, we won't respond to the needs of the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. So Jesus says in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I recently heard Bill Johnson talk about this concept of the yoke, and he described Jesus as the buffest, most powerful male oxen that you ever can imagine, and he's in the yoke, and he's bearing the majority of that weight, and he invites us to come along into his yoke, and we're like this little frisky calf who really just can't even reach the yoke, and he says, come walk with me in this yoke. And as we're walking with him, we're not feeling the burden and the weightiness of that yoke because he's taking the burden of it. The only time we'll feel the weight of that is if, as, as our little calf, knowing what we know, try and veer off in another direction and try and pull against that yoke, and we don't walk with him in the direction that he's set for our lives, that's when the yoke begins to chafe on our shoulders and we really feel the weight of it. Okay, the second quality of skin I want to mention is its compliancy. So that means its ability to really mold around an object and create multiple points of contact. If you can just imagine there was a skeleton and the skeletal hand tried to grasp a hammer, there would probably at most be four bony points of contact with the handle of that hammer, and it wouldn't be enough to hold it. It would just slip through onto the ground. But a human hand with the skin around the bone can form a tight grasp and can mold around that thing. Um, so love is like that. It's gentle, it's kind, it embraces. Love is not insecure. Our skeleton of truth as we, as we embrace the world is not altered or compromised. Um, we need to embrace with love and acceptance and we won't compromise truth as we do that. We'll actually really portray truth. Um, Paul paints this picture perfectly in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. So Paul's not schizophrenic or double-minded. He's actually, his single purpose is to win souls for Christ, and we should, really should be the same. Okay, lastly, skin-on-skin -skin contact is not only diagnostic, but it's also therapeutic. So loving contact is absolutely vital for a human being to grow and thrive. Um, I'm sure you've all heard of kangaroo mother care or skin-to-skin -skin contact. It was initially developed in under-resourced countries where they didn't have incubators in which to house premature low birth weight infants. But the infants did so well that that concept quickly spread across the globe um, where mothers everywhere were encouraged to wear their babies to maintain skin-on-skin -skin contact for as long and as often as possible. 
So just a few of the initial benefits included prevention of hypothermia, reduced mortality, reduced infections, increased weight gain, increased breastfeeding, increased stability of the infant's heart and breathing rate, promotion of attachment and bonding. And that was just initial. We're still finding out about the long-term cognitive, emotional, and social benefits of, of human touch. So there's a condition called skin hunger, and that's a need for physical human contact. And a failure to observe this need can have devastating consequences. Studies have shown that touch deprivation can manifest as any one of the following signs. Aggressive behavior, body image issues, high stress levels, loneliness, mental health issues such as depression, sexual dysfunction, fear of attachment, and, under, and unsatisfying relationships. Doesn't that sound a lot like the world we're living in? The world is so hungry for the loving touch of the body of Christ. Touching people with Christ's love can and should be a healing thing. It can break down walls. It can remove shame. It can release forgiveness. And ultimately, it can soften hearts towards repentance and acceptance of Jesus. Just as well, though, if you've ever been on a mission trip or an outreach, you'll know that touching the world is therapeutic for yourself as well. Doing that, in doing that, Christ awakens his love in our hearts and he opens our eyes to his image in every created person. So in conclusion, the church is the body of Christ. Jesus is our head. Galatians 5 says Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Each part can only function as part of the body if they remain connected to the head. We need to be moving in sync with the direction given by Jesus Christ so that together as the church, our movements can have purpose and power and so that we prevent ourselves from working in opposing directions to the rest of the body. Every action or reaction of every part of the body works in response to input from the brain through the nervous system. There's no single cell or part of the body that isn't connected via a nerve to the brain or the head, Jesus Christ. So I just want draw to the, draw the connection that that nerve connection is our relationship and our reliance on Jesus Christ. If you don't have a connection with Jesus the Savior, I really just want to encourage you to come and speak to somebody after the service. Um, yeah, I'd love us to just have a time of ministry afterwards. And then I just want to reiterate that verse that, uh, that I read earlier, John 8, verse 32. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So knowing Jesus intimately is true freedom. Thank you, Ren. That was absolutely beautiful. Um, I really do want to encourage you to, um, I think there's three responses now that you could have. The first would be to come up and have some prayer if you, if you feel like you want to be connected to that head. The second would be that um, we have these back God cards at the back. If you don't mind, I just want to read you one quickly. It says, uh, Previously, I was buried beneath a mountain of expectations and challenges, bitter, tired, and not living a full life. But God found me and dug me out and said he could use me and put me on a new path, not an easy one. And now I trust that he will give me the wisdom and strength I need um, to live to do, uh, to, in his, sorry, to do his will in his grace and um, with loving generosity. Um, these cards... I just encourage you to, 
to, to recognize that these cards, what they do is they remind us of something that God has done in our lives. And they help awaken in us a hunger for that to be the same truth for others. They just remind us, they give us a gratitude, and then they send us out into the world kind of going, oh, wow, there are people who need to also have those but God moments. And I could be the very person to point them towards that. Um, so please come up for prayer if you're feeling like you need that connection to the head. We'll grab a butt card, card and leave it in there. There's also prayer cards if you ever want. And if neither of those apply, you can go out and get a coffee and a bacon roll. Um, but Ren, I just want to thank you for an absolutely beautiful message. I think, you know, somebody stands up and shares their heart like that. And Ren, in Ren, I see that absolute truth that, like I said, it's that fierce thing that she just doesn't waver on. And yet the way that she touches the world is so soft and gentle. And I know that each and every one of us would love to to understand that better and to live that art more beautifully. So can we just close and pray? Do you want to pray? pray. Yeah. Father, I just want to thank you that you've chosen us to be your church. I thank you that you've chosen us to be your bride and you've set your eyes on us. You've chosen us to display your glory to the rest of the world and to the heavenly realm. And Jesus, I pray for each of us. I pray that we would have a deep connection to our spiritual head, Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus, I pray that individually and corporately you would strengthen that skeleton of truth within us. God, I pray that it would constantly grow, that your Holy Spirit would bring to life the words in, in the Bible. Yeah, God, that we would never stop being strengthened in our understanding of your love and your grace and your redemptive plan and your mercy, God. Jesus, I pray that you would strengthen those parts of the body who are on the front lines of ministry to the world and maybe are feeling weary and burdened. Jesus, I pray that that they would come in line with your yoke and that you would take that burden from them, release it from them, Jesus, and just remind them that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And Jesus, I pray for, for each person that you would give us boldness and courage to step into the world. And just knowing that we don't need to compromise the truth that's within us when we're in the world, Father God, but that you've created us to be a light, to push back the darkness, Jesus. And yeah, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these analogies. I thank you for the way that your Holy Spirit is so committed to changing us and making us to be like like the Son, Jesus. And I just, yeah, I really pray that our touch as the Church of Christ would be a loving touch and one that brings people to their knees in repentance and, and thankfulness for the gift that you've given us, Lord.